0: This
2: is the Tom Hartman program. And greetings my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you and it is Wednesday. First hour time for Midday's with Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan, on us on with us for the hour taking your calls. So you have questions, thoughts, curiosities, comments, whatever for Congressman Pocan. Uh, his website pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep Mark Pocan. M-A-R-K-P-O-C-A-N. Congressman, welcome back.
3: Hey, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here.
2: Great to have you with us. So you have on your website. You've got a piece about uh, members of Congress urged Trump to stand with Americans on Nissan's anti-worker campaign. I'm curious about that and and about just in general what what your thoughts are on what's going on in Congress uh, you know it's, it's you are you are in the midst of the zoo it seems Oh my god I
3: I wish you know zoo at least there's some organization to it Yeah <laughs> you know you with go. what's going on with the administration um you know we get the mooch for 10 days uh they throw out you know the chief of staff uh he's back to you know now we find out he's dictating the response for his son about You know his meeting with Russia. I mean, just every week. Last week was a really big week, right? Uh, From the Boy Scout speech to the police speech to, you know, all his going after Jeff Sessions, and it just kind of continued with the mooch. And it's a it's a very um, it's becoming more and more difficult to predict if you ever could predict what this administration is going to do. You know, then they'll tweet out something about you know discrimination on people serving in the military, which with no advance notice. But then, you know, they'll give advance notice on things that'll never happen. So it's just, it's hard to read it. Um, Specifically to what you asked about, you know, on the Nissan, right now there's an election going through April 4th for a union. Um, And uh, this is down in Mississippi. And there's been a a lot of pushback by the company um, on this, you know, taking people into meetings, telling them that, you know, the company might move. All these other things that you're really not supposed to do in the middle of a, a union election, And, you know, they've been already promised a a lot of things that they should have good wages. I I know this area well because I grew up in, and by the area, I mean um, auto industry. I grew up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where, you know, 14,000 people out of 70,000 used to make cars. Uh, You know, it was American Motors for when I was growing up. Then it became um, Renault Alliance, and it became Chrysler. and Now no one makes cars there. And when you look at something like this in Mississippi, you know, they bring in these temp workers first. So the wages are really low. They're advertising like 13, 14 bucks to start which is unheard of in the auto industry, they tell you you'll then get the official wage, but you've got people who have started there at 24 bucks 25 on the official wage, and 14 years later they're making $26 an hour. There's been, like, no real increase in the wages, and that's why people are talking about having a union. But, you know, there's been a lot of really questionable tactics by the company to make it harder to form a union.
2: Oh, amazing. Um, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the uh, – on uh, the North Korea situation. I, I don't know if you caught the announcement that was just made on green cards. Um, you know. No, I have not. Okay. Um, uh, North Korea. This, uh, you know, Tillerson came out and said, "We are not your enemy. Like, you know, we want to tamp this down." Uh, although you are pushing our to- limits of our tolerance. Um, what What is your sense of what's going on?
3: Well, you know, I, I think this is one of those areas where. Um, the best way to deal with this would be, obviously, through uh, working collaboratively, especially with China, who can put pressure on because so much of their economy in North Korea is contingent on Chinese um, goods. And, mm-hmm. and we could, through good diplomacy, uh, do more to make sure that we don't have a, you know, a questionable... Uh, leadership of a country with nuclear weapons, right, especially that can reach the mainland. The problem is, you know, we've had, I think, a pretty combative approach through tweets, unfortunately, by the president with China on this issue. And I don't know if that's really getting us anywhere. I think I did see that. I believe it was the CIA director. I don't want to say something wrong, but I thought that's who it was. Had made a comment about how we are for regime change. And then you've got Tillerson saying, no, we're not talking about regime change. I don't think we should ever be talking about regime change in other countries uh, you know, like this. It's just not really our role to do that, but um, the fact that we're getting mixed signals like we do so often from this administration worries me about what the next steps could be yeah
2: there's a, a new website out there it 's uh, titled department of dot and it drills down it's, it's created by the Western Values Project, which is a group that is pushing back on the uh, basically the, the exploitation and privatization of the uh, mostly Western Public lands, but public lands in general, and uh, they drill down through Ryan Zinke and all the people that he's hired, and it's pretty shocking. Person after person after person is a is basically a lobbyist. Um, what what is your sense of the kind of damage that is being done in the Department of Interior, the Food and Drug Administration, next week probably the Department of Labor, if the the last two members of the uh, of the board of the Department of Labor, or the NLRB, I guess. National Labor Relations Board are are confirmed, you know, uh, to that. It looks like they probably will be. Um, what's your sense of what's going on?
3: Well, you know, and this is the, the question, you know, as much as Republicans say, you know, they don't want regulation and, you know, you have to get rid of two for every new regulation. You also, though, have to keep the the regulations that you have, and at least the agencies that do the protections. Uh, because you know without regulators, you don't have clean air and clean water, and uh, you don't have labor protections and safety uh, addressed in the workplace. And in the case uh, that they're doing, I think, with public lands, I think there's a real effort to, uh, again, with all the people in the administration that have connections through the oil industry, to open up uh, public lands in more ways Uh, You know, we saw an effort by Jason Chaffetz before he left. He was talking about putting a bill in to sell 2.4 million acres of public lands off. And we know that there's been things through the Antiquities Act they've tried to do. So we have to watch this very closely because I do think that their real goal is to pull back all of this to the point that you would have uh, no or little regulation and things that people really support. I mean, everyone wants to have clean water and Clean and food that's that's safe and a workplace that's safe, and if you don't have those things in place, um, you're going to have real problems. And yet, I think that's the rollbacks that they're inevitably moving towards.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty radical stuff. Okay, uh, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us uh, taking your calls for the hour. It's our Midday's with Mark hour here on the Tom Hartman program. Congressman Pocan represents the Second District of Wisconsin and does so brilliantly. Uh, he's also the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, you can find his website at pokan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P Mark, as in representative, rep, Mark Pocan. And we'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan right after. And welcome back. Uh, Jared, watching uh, um, uh, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Jared, in Downington, Pennsylvania, what's on your mind, Jared? You're on the air with Congressman uh, Pocan. Uh,
1: yes, hello, Tom, and hello. Hello. Um... Uh, Representative Mark Pocan. I want to call, uh, I'm calling today because something recently in the news. Um, uh, Trump recently signed H.R. 3364, uh, Countering America's Adversary Through Sanctioned Act. It is a bill that um, uh, imposes um, congressional sanctions on the governments of Iran, uh, Russia, and uh, North Korea. And uh, I just want to know why exactly. Um, Uh, Congressman Mark Pocan voted for that bill when it could potentially kill the Iran deal uh, and push us into conflict with North Korea and um, along with maybe starting a new Cold War with Russia. Not that I necessarily oppose everything in the bill. Like, I, I don't have necessarily a problem with taking the power away from the president to remove sanctions, but a good percentage of the bill is also very awful, such as the parts that talk about sanctioning anybody supporting the, um, the government of um, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. But I just want to know why exactly um, Congressman Mark Pocan voted for that bill. And I'll take the question off the air. Thank you.
3: Sure. Well, uh, thanks for that question, Jared. Um, so uh, let, let me just say, I mean, if you look at that bill, the vote was um, unbelievably... Uh, I think lost there were committed. six um, votes in the vote.
2: House against it and two in the Senate. My, yeah. Remembering yeah. And,
3: and the reason being is, you know, we originally had a vote in the Senate that um, we were really trying to make sure we get the sanctions on Russia, because clearly the president, even as he signed it, said he thinks it might be unconstitutional, which, again, this is a guy who's just doing everything he can to subvert what we're trying to do to, to Put some pressure on Russia since they interfered with our elections. I mean, clearly, we have to have a response in that way, not starting a cold war. I mean, there are some clearly um, who do want to do that, right? Some of the Republican senators, as they talk about this, but the vast majority of Congress doesn't want that. So rather than getting lost on what this bill maybe, maybe could do, I can tell you that a lot of uh, thought went into the additional provisions. I was one of the part, people on the WHIP team uh, to make sure that we could uh, deal with the Iranian deal. Uh, I would never do anything that would put that at risk. We've got a president who I think continually wants to put that at risk. We put some very careful language that they needed to add to get uh, it out of the House. But we needed to have the sanctions uh, in place um, for Russia. uh, And in quite honestly, North Korea needed something as well sanctions don't forget uh will we be along diplomatic solutions rather than military solutions if we didn't do it we might very likely be waiting for this administration to very unpredictably do military action and then we're really in trouble so i think that's why you saw such a giant Lopsided vote, and um, you know, I'm still not sure the president's going to live by it. He may have signed it, but you know, let's face it. Uh, following everything with Russia, uh, we know he's got something to hide, and uh, he's going to continue to do everything he can to make sure it's not exposed.
2: Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, you know, refusing to release his tax returns and everything else. The the uh, uh, he, he added a signing statement to it, uh, it, it. You know, basically saying, "I think this is unconstitutional." Uh, does that make any sense? No, I mean so that's the thing. Everything he
3: does, from you know uh, the lies most recently about you know him dictating the description of what his you know son's meeting was with r- r- Russian officials, where his lawyers said it didn't happen. Now we're finding out it did. You know, there's so many lies out of this administration, mostly uh, and largely around Russia. I mean, I'm, I'm a g- simple guy from Wisconsin, but it doesn't pass the, the, the smell test. You know, yeah. uh, where I come from, if it doesn't pass the smell test, there's probably something that stinks, and uh, this. Thing,
2: Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. It's our Middays with Mark Our Congressman Mark Pocan, taking your calls on the topics of the day. And Dan in Oceanside, California, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan.
4: Thank you. Tom, I love everything you do.
5: Congressman,
4: thank you for spending the time with us. There's a H.R. Bill 2366, which would allow uh, being able to discharge a student loan through bankruptcy once again. Is there any chance of that ever seeing the light of day?
3: Um, Dan, uh, thanks for uh, your question. Um, You know, this is an issue that I don't quite understand um, why there's a disconnect between the parties, because to me... Some of the stuff around student debt should be a a no brainer. You know, I I introduced the first bill back in 2013 to allow people to refinance student debt. People are paying 6.6% interest when the current rate was around 3, 3 3.5%, and it just doesn't make sense that you can refinance your home and your car but not your student loan. Uh, Some of these other issues, uh, like you brought up, uh, H.R. 2366, and some other measures, should be pretty much non-partisan, no-brainer. You know, if, if people do get a higher education, the odds are they're gonna make more money, which means they're gonna pay more taxes, and there's a lot of benefits to it. Yet, for some reason, it's been really hard to get people on the other side of the aisle to join in. Now, Elizabeth Warren has done a refinancing bill. Senator Gillibrand from New York has done a uh, a refinancing bill. Mine is the only one that does have some bipartisan support, but I think we're only talking three or four Republicans um, on the bill. It's it's just been difficult, Dan, and I don't quite know why that they're seeing this as a disconnect. I know some of the rhetoric that I used to hear on the Budget Committee around this was that um, you know they just don't want everyone following the path of college, and we know not everyone does. 30% of uh, people do, and the other 70% don't, but I don't understand why this issue hasn't been something that to gain more support. So I, I wish I had a better answer for you, Dan, because it doesn't make sense to me either.
2: Michael in Troy, New York. Hey Michael. What's up? Uh, you're on the you're on the air with Congressman Pokan.
1: Uh, thanks uh, Tom, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller and Congressman Pokan, uh, great to talk to you and I actually retweeted your comment about the wall earlier today. Uh, My question has to do with agency confirmation and Senate confirmations. Um, We're hearing speculation that the president might move um, one secretary from one uh, agency to the other. And I guess I'm confused. Is there a blanket approval that once you're approved for one department head, you can easily be moved? Or will this require additional confirmation by the Senate? And how does that not, you know, what about their qualifications if they're going from uh, vastly different agencies? I'm, I'm, I'm confused.
3: Yeah, Michael, great question. And uh, you know, I actually listened to part of yesterday's press conference where um the the press person reiterated that uh they would not be moving Jeff Sessions to Homeland because that was one of the speculation, right? And then there also was another speculation. They said that they didn't know if there was a move in works. You know, the question is, I think a fear that he'll try to do a recess appointment while people are out and put someone in, but you know, there's supposed to be a confirmation process. I don't think you can automatically go from one to another. That's why, you know, you still would have to have normal senate confirmation but what we're really watching and we all should be watching is that he does anything to pull Jeff Sessions from attorney general so he can put someone else in who could fire uh, Mueller who's doing a really I think great job on the investigation he's working on so that's that's the that's, theory
2: isn't it, that he's going to move sessions from from uh, you know to re- to replace uh, Kelly over to DHS they us,
3: yeah they gave us a, a, a yesterday in the the press um, briefing and, and a, a, usually, you know, they give you wiggle room on it. This one was no wiggle room. That it's not going to happen. They're saying. But again, mm. with this administration, I don't trust much of what they say. Yeah. So that's what we're really watching because I, I know he is desperate to um, put someone in as Attorney General who will get rid of Mueller again because of the Russia investigation. Yeah,
2: indeed. Mark, uh, Mike, excuse me, Mike in El Paso, Texas. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Hi,
4: Tom. Uh, hi, Congressman. Uh Want to say thanks to both of you for serving the public so well as you do uh, and speaking up for the truth. Uh, thanks, Congressman. I just, uh, I just wanted to know. It just seems like with every day we have more and more volumes of things coming forth about the corruptness and the uh, criminality of this uh, of this president. And uh, I know Bob Mueller a good man, and he is uh, utilizing all the tools at at his disposal to try to uncover everything, but. You know, there may be so much you might not ever get to the end of it. So I guess my question is, when are we going to have enough where we're going to actually start seeing either impeachment proceedings or, in my view, better yet, criminal indictment before this guy can continue to advance his uh, his agenda even further, which is seems to be headed for uh, calamity?
3: Yep. Mike, uh, great questions. Um let me say it this way: uh, We're going to need the Republicans to put their country before their party in order to do something while they're in control. Um, quite honestly, Paul Ryan uh, needs to grow a spine. Um, he has—he used to stand up to uh, the president during the campaigns, and now you know he rolls over and gets his belly rubbed. And that seems to be where we're at with the House of Representatives leadership. To get something like impeachment, um, to really get what this independent counsel that we want, you're going to have to have Republicans step up to do that. And it may be that if we can't get to that crucial point where he just pushes them over the edge, Uh, we have the November 18 elections coming up. And I think there's a reason why we have Democrats announced in over 200 of the Republican districts already. And they have Republicans announced in Democratic districts in something like 20. Uh, It's like a fraction of where we're at, because people really are upset about what's going on. And that may be the best opportunity to push something forward. I would hope that they'll rise to put the country before their party, but unfortunately I'm I'm not seeing a lot of it happen in Washington and and really that's extremely discouraging as someone who actually believes in the process enough to run for office and serve in office, you'd expect that you might be able to get that done. And so far, unfortunately, it's not work, working. Yeah.
2: We just have a, a little less than a minute or a little more than a minute until the the next break, Congressman, not enough time to put a caller on and it's a hard break at the bottom of the hour. Uh so quick question. We had uh Iron Stash on this show yesterday. And I'm sorry, I don't have my one sheet in front of me. I'm, I'm, I, I think I remember his name, but I don't want to get it. Randy Bryce. Randy Bryce. There we go. Uh, and and uh, he was talking about you coming into the district. He sat through uh, at least one of the town halls you did for uh, on behalf of Paul Ryan, <laughs> and, and he spoke very well of you. Um, I was wondering your thoughts on him.
3: Yeah, I, you know, he's been to a couple of them. I'll tell you, this is the first. Honest to goodness, real challenge Paul Ryan has had in in my memory that that my hometown is in that district. my husband's um family lives in that district. I know that district second to my own, and uh Randy fits the district uh like a glove you know he's an iron worker um that's a district that's been largely deindustrialized. They lost fourteen thousand auto jobs in Kenosha, about ten thousand in Janesville. This is a guy who can talk to people at a very authentic real level, and I think he's a very serious candidate and if he has the resources. Um, I think he could give uh, the speaker a run for his money. This is the speaker who wants to get rid of health care for tens of millions of people that aren't asking for it and uh, Randy's The Antidote.
2: Yeah, and he's, he's just he's plain spoken, very straightforward, and yet has a clearly a sophisticated grasp, grasp of the issue. I, I was just really impressed. So.
3: Yeah, no, he's <laughs> exactly what we need in Congress.
2: Yeah, amen. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour, taking your calls. We'll be back right after this break at the bottom of the hour with more of your calls for Congressman Mark Pocan. Stick around. By the way, his website, uh, pocan.house.gov, you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. He is also the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Welcome back. It's our middays with Mark, our Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Congressman representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, pokan.house.gov. You can tweet him at RepMarkPokan on the line with us taking your calls for the hour. And Russell in Hickory Hills, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pokan.
1: Ah, uh, thanks, Tom. Mr. Pokan,
4: I wanted to ask, if you talk to your colleagues in the House, what you guys are going to do if he goes through with this threat of taking your health care away from you in the Senate, because uh, that sounds like a pretty stiff threat. And I thought Obamacare... He can't stop making payments on it. It's in the in the bill. Have you had a comment on that? Have you talked about that, about when he takes your health care away?
3: Yeah, Russell, thanks uh, for your question. So, you know, first of all, um, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, generally taking away the health care of the Republicans you're trying to get the votes for um, it would not be the recommended course. Uh, so, I, you know, I think the problem is he just gets mad, right, and he tweets or he burst out with some kind of a response that he never plans on actually executing. I think the the real question is, when are they going to get with us to fix what needs to be fixed? Because clearly the House did a terrible vote um, They took uh, that would take away health care from uh, tens of millions of people and make older Americans pay more. And really it was all about a, a big tax break for the wealthiest and for insurance companies and big pharma. But, uh, you know, they're desperate to just check a box that they got rid of, Obamacare, and they need this money to start their tax reform, uh, what they really want to do, which is take care of their wealthy donors and the wealthy companies uh, in this country. So, you know, whatever we need, what we're trying to focus on, and I think you're starting to see this, the help us, the committee, the subcommittee on in the Senate is looking at doing some bipartisan conversations. You've got to at least keep the Affordable Care Act going. You have to keep those uh, amounts that get paid to the insurance company that's subsidized to make sure that people have health insurance so people don't lose it. I'm seeing some movement there. I'm hoping at some point that'll break through. I've been really disappointed in Paul Ryan, uh, once again, saying the House won't do anything different. We've already voted on it, rather than recognizing that their plan is a failure. But, again, I think a lot of it's bravado by the president, desperate to have a win, to check a box that he got rid of Obamacare, and to start uh, the tax cuts for the wealthiest. And, you know, you're going to hear a lot of rhetoric between now and then. I think it's tough to get a lot of the Republicans to go that much against their constituents enough in some of these swing districts. So we've, we've got promise. We just have to keep the pressure on. People have to keep calling their members of Congress.
2: Bob in San, Louis, uh, San Luis Obispo, California. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan.
4: Thank you, Tom. Uh, Congressman, there was a uh, very uh, lengthy, detailed article in Vanity Fair about the sheer ineptitude of the Trump administration simply going into the Department of Energy, not talking about all the other departments. And I mean, the first people they sent over there didn't even have the necessary security clearance to be briefed. Is there anything that holds this administration accountable for not staffing the government agencies to the levels that has always been the normal way of doing things?
2: And if I could add to that, um, I've seen reports that uh, Rick Perry did not realize that the Department of Energy was in charge of our nuclear stockpile, our nuclear weapons, uh, when he took it over. I mean, could that have something to do with the problem or were those just, you know, snarky uh, fake news stories? I, I frankly don't know. Congressman?
3: No, my guess is, uh, from Rick Perry, that is true. Uh, not exactly a confidence builder, is it? Um, you know, I actually, I do see this across all departments. We're having a problem that he has not made the appointments of political leaders in these areas across the board. So while they're complaining the Senate hasn't approved some of the people they put out there, some for good reason, you have to have a review, they haven't filled uh, a number of these positions, and for the first time ever, we're seeing this. Where you know, generally, what doesn't get doesn't get interfered with um, during all the politics of policy is the casework we can do for constituents, helping them navigate federal agencies. We're starting to have problems there in our office that we never had before, uh, simply because they're not making the appointments they need to. So, I, I don't know if some of it is just incompetence by um, again the Trump administration, because we've seen plenty of it. I don't know if some of it might be intentional in some agencies to slow walk it, but it's becoming a problem across the board that we're seeing, and you know I I think that's going to be an issue pretty soon that will arise to a level that Republicans are going to see this as well in Congress, that they can't get casework done for their constituents.
2: Marcia in Englewood, Florida, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi,
0: Congressman. So good to see you, Marcia. Uh, there's a couple issues regarding, I know that the, they're, they're going to start working on the tax code. I don't know when, but it, it's on their minds now. There's a couple issues in the tax code that really bug me, something awful. And the first one is, every time one of these big corporations gets hit with a multi-million or multi-billion dollar uh, fine, they're allowed to deduct that on their taxes. Am I correct?
3: Um, I'm not sure about every finding. Uh, I I couldn't say that definitively. Uh,
0: I I think it's just incredible that, that not only don't these people that do actually criminal offenses against the American people, they don't go to jail, but they can deduct the cost of those penalties, however many billions they were charged, they can apply to their taxes as a tax break. That's one tax break that I totally disapprove of. Another one is when I was a working person, I'm 74, I'll be 75 soon. So I haven't worked in a long time and haven't filed taxes in a long time. But when I did file taxes, my medical bills had to reach such an astronomical amount in the last few tax filings of my working experience that I I couldn't deduct them. I could not deduct my medical expenses because they did not reach the threshold. I don't see why people earning less than, let's say, $250,000 have some crazy threshold that they have to meet of medical expenses in order to be able to include them in their tax deductions. Those are two things that really boil me.
3: Congressman sure. No, I hear you, Marcia. And the first one, I'd I have to check, because I don't know if I could say that of all fines, they're all deductible. And for some reason, I think they're not from something I've heard, but I, I just don't have that information uh, handy to offer up. What I can tell you is, you know, they desperately want to reduce taxes on the wealthiest and on uh, corporations, you know, the goal that they want to reduce the corporate weight way down because uh, we have one of the highest in the country, allegedly. The problem is uh, that's on paper, but when you take all the different exemptions that are out there, like you've mentioned, um, the effective rate really is more like 16 17 18%, somewhere in there, um, which is about half of what the actual rate is. So um, I can tell you this. I think it's going to be one... It's very difficult for them to really get in there and do this because every group that's fought for an exemption doesn't want to give it up to lower the rate. Uh, it's going to be a, a giant... Uh, political fight. If they thought health care was difficult, uh, I guarantee tax reform will be more difficult. But that's part of why the initial so-called health care bill they put out there had that giant tax cut to start what they're trying to get towards uh, in relieving taxes for, quite honestly, it's their donors and their voters, the wealthiest in this country and not for everyone else. So I think you know, there's a lot of individual uh, tax deductions we could point to as absurd, uh, but more we have to be careful of what they're trying to do, which is they'll, they'll give us a, a penny or maybe a nickel in tax breaks for the middle class and those aspiring to be in the middle class. And then the, the, you know, all the real money will go towards uh, the wealthiest and and for big corporations. And that's not
1: the direction we need to do on the tax code.
2: Todd in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
1: Hey, uh, go Marsha. I, I like what she had to say first off. And, and thank you both. Hey, real quick, uh, Randy Bryce, um, what is the DCCC doing to, uh, support him? Because in the past, they have always had a hands-off approach to Paul Ryan and
4: just kind of let
1: him uh, continuously get re-elected. There's been no effort to put forth a, a Democratic candidate, and this guy is coming from the from the uh, grassroots effort. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that.
3: Sure. So. Um... Generally, and, and you know, generally means there's exceptions to the rule. But generally, the DCCC doesn't get involved when there's primaries. Um, technically, there is still one other person in the primary in Randy's race. Um, however, having said that, um, NARAL, for instance, today endorsed uh, Randy Bryce. I saw. I think that came out as a release. Um, you know, he's getting, you know, SCIU, the, the momentum is all on his side. The Progressive Caucus made our first endorsement, being Randy Bryce. A lot of other big organizations have as well. So I, I think our conversations with the DTRIP have been not so much, I think, that they're trying to stay away from Paul Ryan, but that, you know, uh, in some cases where there's someone who's clearly um, going to be so far ahead of anyone else in a race and like in this case, it's a real race with a real candidate, they should probably pay attention. So that's kind of the conversations that many of us have had with the DCCC. It's not so much that they've left Paul Ryan alone as they didn't see it as a winnable seat uh, because of some previous candidates or um, there could have been a primary and they don't Uh, Again, they're not supposed to generally get involved in primaries. Uh, We're trying to make a case that uh, Randy is uh, the real thing. This is a real race. This is a guy who's uh, not in this district very often. He wrote a health care bill that is going to take away health care from tens of millions of people.
5: Uh, You're listening to Tom uh, Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio
2: and video archives. Back with more of your questions for Congressman Mark Pocan in our middays with Mark Hour right after this. And welcome back. Bob in Davenport, Iowa, watching us on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
4: Yes, uh, Mark, I want to thank you for um, uh, introducing the Voter Roll Integrity Act. Um,
1: Thank
4: you, Bob. I'm working hard to find co-sponsors across the country and to see about um, getting some people in the Senate to uh, to sponsor one. Uh, I've had some conversation with Bernie Sanders' office about that, and hopefully he may do something. But um, I, I really see this as uh, the way that, to save our democracy, and I think you'll probably agree. But I'm, I'm trying to imagine like, what the opposition might drum up as, as uh, opposing arguments to the Voter Roll Integrity Act.
3: Oh, they'll probably claim, Bob, um, my guess is the same reason why they did interstate cross-check to begin with, right? That somehow there's uh, people voting more than once and we've got to uh, get rid of the, the people. You Remember, I mean, to this day, Donald Trump is still claiming illegal voters uh, were more than the 3 million votes he lost by because he's desperate to claim he actually won the election. Uh, they'll do something along those lines. Uh, I think what we need to do is just show the facts that it's been proven that they've dumped people off of uh, the voter rolls that uh, were incorrectly dumped over and over and over again, and that really this was an attempt to do just that, to dump a bunch of legal voters uh, off that they thought weren't going to be their voters. So I think we just need to keep taking those facts and figures out there um, and uh, try to get more sponsors for the bill and get the word out on this. But I agree with you, I mean, those those democracy issues are really at the core um, because if we don't have a democracy a lot of these other issues are, are definitely going to go down for us uh, from tax reform to health care to uh, infrastructure and, and everything else it's important that everyone be able to vote uh, who can vote and, and that um, we don't set up artificial barriers that we see right now set up across
2: the country rick in san jose california you're on the air with congressman Pocan.
5: hello tom Congress, congressman Polcan, thank you for all that you're doing I'm uh, I'm I'm very pleased to to know that there are uh, still representatives out there like you and I'm hoping that there'll be many many more. I am um calling about um uh the Democratic overall strategy for 2018, 2020 and beyond that I think um should be immediate, aggressive and broadcast very loudly every single day starting right now because of, I'm in terror of uh, what's coming up in 2018 and then 2020 with the census and all that. Where, other than Nancy Pelosi's statement, where is the huge democratic immediate plan to bring back my country?
3: Yeah, Rick. So this is one where I am optimistic. I think something I've seen that I'm encouraged by is that the congressional Democrats um, and the senatorial Democrats are on the same page, understanding that at the core we need to have a good, strong economic message and that much will go from there. In Wisconsin, we had a 200,000 Democratic voter drop-off in the presidential election, uh, second only to Mississippi. We used to be one of the top three for turnout states. But we didn't have a good core economic message in 2016, and we had a lot of voters who stayed home. So the fact that the Better Deal proposal that's been put forward by uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on behalf of uh, Democrats in the House and the Senate really gets at a lot of those core economic issues, that if we can re-engage with voters that we are there fighting for the middle class and those aspiring to be in the middle class, and we can explain everything from antitrust to wages and all the rest, I think we can make that case.
2: There you go. Congressman Mark Pocant taking your call right after you. you. Welcome back. It's our uh, Middays with Mark hour. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. And Tony in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Tony? Tony's not listening to his phone. You've got to listen to your phone. Uh, Gizmo in uh, driving through Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan.
4: Well, thank you. Congressman, uh, actually driving through Ohio, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a trucker somewhere in America. Uh, I'm a definitely uh, uh, a Bernie crat, uh, Congressman. And um, I was just curious here. Now, you've got a caucus in uh, the Congress and one in the Senate trying to fix the ACA at this point. Are you a member of the, uh, the Congressional Caucus to fix the ACA now?
3: Well, the, 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 I understand, um, Democrats in general, we have said we're willing to sit down if they'll bring us to sit down because we have plenty of ideas and suggestions. Some, they're going to be a little more progressive, like having a public option that I don't know if the Republicans would go for, but a lot of other ones. There's a subcommittee in the Senate, the Help Subcommittee, that Senator, um, Patty Murray and Lamar Alexander are the, the chair and the ranking on that are working on something. And then there's this, um, no labels, uh, what do they call themselves? Uh, Problem Solvers Caucus. That um, allegedly is working on it, but Paul Ryan's already said they're not going to look at any new proposals. We're sticking with it. So the activity is on the Senate right now, unless Paul Ryan suddenly um, decides he's going to stand up to the president, which I don't see happening. So what we're really watching is those conversations that they're having over August. But we have said at any time we're willing to sit down and have a real uh, dialogue about what needs to be fixed around the ACA so that tens of millions of people don't lose health insurance. And uh we're still open to do that.
2: We the Democratic Party? Yes. And and so there there isn't a specific caucus within the Democratic Party devoted to health care?
3: Um, No, no. I mean, I think what the gentleman's referring to in the last week, there's been news about the help subcommittee in the Senate Uh and that there's this problem solvers, no label caucus that's generally um, of people who are in competitive districts who are trying to show they work across the aisle, um, working on something. However, uh, again, it's not. um, Paul Ryan has been very clear that they're not going to do anything different in the House. So all the action really uh, would be in the Senate and they still haven't done their vote. So that's what we're watching the closest.
2: Tom, in Towson, Maryland, you are on the air with Congress in Pocan. All
1: right, so because of what Trump is, is, was made from society,
4: um, how are you going to fix it with reform?
3: I'm sorry, could you ask that question again, Tom? I, I got a little, it went out right. for a second. Right.
1: Uh, so because what Trump is, because Trump is a result of society, how would you how,
2: what is your plan to fix? uh, Tom, do you mean like Trump, Trump, many of Trump's behaviors are reflections of dysfunction in our culture. So how can you fix that without fixing our culture? Is that your question?
1: Kind
2: of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well,
1: Tom,
3: I mean, first of all, I don't really feel that Donald Trump is, um, reflective of the country, at least as I see it and the people I talk to. I, I think there are There's an element, right? We know when Barack Obama got elected, uh, we had um, a a part of it was uh, this anti-government part of the Tea Party and part of it was outright racism uh, that created the Tea Party. And that's been really our our huge downfall since 2010. I think Donald Trump really was reflective, um, uh, you know, of this kind of populist, xenophobic, um, you know, uh, some people feel like they're losing grasp of being in power in this country uh... that's a big element of what he has but that's not the majority of the country Um that's why he can do pretty much anything and hold on to thirty five or thirty six percent but not much more than that and the rest of the people are concerned that the direction he's taking us is directionless and it's more based on you know some ideas that pop into his head or, or, or he tweets out. So I, again, I don't think I, I agree with the premise that he's reflective of society. Certainly, there are some in society who don't like the fact that our culture uh, is changing, and maybe different people will be in power in the future, uh, and they don't want to give up for white males. But I, I, I don't see that him as really representative of the majority of society.
2: James in Orlando, West Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman pokin
4: Hello. Thank you, Mr. Hartman. Thank you, Mr. Polk. And you're doing a great service for your country. Uh, I'm a disabled Vietnam veteran, and I'm sitting here looking at the uh, VFW magazine on page 12. uh, The Trump administration is going to cut the benefits 225,000 vets. Uh, It don't look good for us. I know. I guarantee you those vets, had to fight every inch of the way for their benefits. And it says, sure, they're going to take, uh, let me see this, Uh, $3.2 billion away from these vets next year. Mm. That's going to really hurt us. Do you have any comment on that?
3: Yeah, I'll tell you, James if I can offer maybe a little more general, because this is something we've seen happen even pre-Donald Trump. So this is the Republican Party and Donald Trump is symptomatic of it as well. Uh, you know, they don't believe in public institutions. So they want to take money from the VA system and and put it, for example, towards um choice is what they call it. But it's taking money away from a system that works well for veterans and saying you can go to other doctors with it. But every time you take away that uh, benefit that at institution that we provide that benefit for the more we risk providing those benefits, so I think that 's been something that happened even pre donald trump um that there's always lip service right about veterans, um, but we don 't let 's face it we don 't pay people well in the military compared to all the military contractors, and then we often don 't want to take care of people after they 've uh, put their service in for this country and we 're seeing that uh slide happen again so i I, I guess I'd just say james it 's not unique to donald trump it 's kind of symptomatic of the current Republican Party, and that's why we need to push back. You know, Even my Tea Party uncle, after he goes through all the complaints about the federal government, he usually ends it with, but leave my VA alone. Um, we need to protect those benefits for people who served us.
2: Yeah. Congressman, we have just a minute and 15 seconds or thereabouts until the end of the hour. Um, uh, your thoughts on what's coming up that we should be paying attention to, what the pressure points might be, where we should be calling our members of Congress, the, the, the big things that we should be Looking for going forward and doing for them.
3: Yeah, I think for this month, because it is the month we're not around, we've got to be afraid of what could happen without Congress around. So is that any of those recess appointments and be ready to act? And I know the indivisible groups, for example, in this area, uh, they're so organized. I love it. They put out something. If if announcement happens before two p.m., there's a rally at five o'clock that day. If the announcement happens after two, it's the next day at a certain time. They're getting yeah. ready for it. We need to be ready for that. And we need to be ready for whatever might happen on health care in case they try to pull something really fast by calling the Senate in. Let's just remember, even though it's allegedly the congressional recess, uh, we've got to watch it even closer so they don't pull something fast. And let's be ready to contact your members of Congress. Be ready to act.
2: I, I have heard stories that in order to prevent, uh, you know, Trump from, for example, firing just Sessions and then recess appointing somebody to replace him immediately, uh, which he could do if, if Congress, if the Senate goes into recess. That the Senate specifically was, uh, that be, whether it was Mitch McConnell being upset with Trump, or whether it was Chuck Schumer, you know, forcing it, might not go into recess. You know anything about that? I just I assume
3: they're assuming the same thing with this president. Anything could happen, and um, we got to be vigilant.
2: So they're going to cover their backsides. Fascinating, Congressman Mark Pocan. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, of course, Tom. Thank you. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have you. Congressman Mark Pocan, you can tweet him at RepMarkPocan, his website, Pocan.house.com. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And in the studio with me is Dave McCullough, a partner with Capital Media Partners, conservative. His Twitter handle is McCullough, M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-C-H. O-C-H, almost, almost got it right?
6: Uh, OCH. That's what I said. Uh, you said uh, U. It's alright. Okay. Call okay, it like the chainsaw. C.
2: Nobody gets that. C. M. C. C. U. L. L. O. C. H. Got there you it. go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Well, that's funny. I'm, you know, funny little beeping. Oh, it must be your phone in my in my IFB. Um... Uh, anyhow, Dave, uh, you know, frequently debates me on television and, uh, here you are in our radio studio. Nice to have you here with us. Dave. Good to hear it. Yeah. Good to be here. So, uh, I, I wanted to talk about solar power. This, uh, the Kate Ar- Aronoff, uh, wrote a great piece for the guardian today. Uh, the, the headline is utility companies won't let you sell your own solar power. The, why not? The electric utility sector is broken, but the transformation we need will be virtually impossible. So long as a handful of wealthy elites are calling the shots. And they point out that The electric utilities spent $114 million last year lobbying to end net metering. That is the ability of people who put solar panels on their houses to sell electricity back into the grid. And uh, so far this year, they've spent $59.9 million. Now that, uh, you know, if you look at Germany, which is, uh, in fact, generated more than half of their electricity one day this summer uh, from solar power because they incentivize people to put solar panels on their rooftops... Uh, with what was called the 100,000 Rooftop Program, uh, originally designed to replace one nuclear power plant. It grew so fast it replaced 10 nuclear power plants in the first 10 years, and they had to stop the subsidies because they just couldn't, until they could upgrade the grid, which they did. Um, And now it's like just off to the races. Um, Germany is the cloudiest country in Europe. Germany is north of Michigan, latitude-wise. It's Canada, latitude-wise. And it is as cloudy as Michigan, which is one of the cloudiest states in the United States. And yet they're generating half their power on a good day from solar power and, and doing it very, very successfully. Why should we allow the oligarchs who own the for-profit utilities in the United States to say, no, you can't do that? Well,
6: first of all, they built the grid. They built each
2: power company's grid, which ultimately connects to all the other grids. They did it with on our public space. And they did it with with uh, uh, Fifth Amendment takings, with, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, eminent domain takings, that, you know, th- we gave them the permission to do that. We gave them the land to do that. So don't they have some obligation to us? I
6: think they certainly do have an obligation as a public utility to provide power in exchange for money. Now, and certainly I, I agree that that net metering is a, is a general plus. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we have the ability to Make our own solar, and there's incentives typically, I believe, in market based incentives rather than government incentives. But it's a good thing, it's a very good thing. The challenge, and I want to take a little uh note about that that uh, lobbying figure you said uh 100 and something million dollars was spent on lobbying against net metering. No, that was just in general, uh, mm. in general for, okay. uh, for the energy industry. And there's no doubt there's a lot of concern about the energy, the uh, uh, transmission lines. Our infrastructure has a lot of problems, a lot of challenges. We've seen rolling blackouts in California years ago.
2: We've seen now, that was a scam by a for-profit company. Enron did that and they shut down power plants to create those blackouts, to take down governor Gray Davis, which they successfully did. And Ken Lay had a secret meeting with Arnold Schwarzenegger about a year before this all happened. When Daryl Issa found out about it at a press conference, he broke down in tears. You'll recall, cause he thought he was going to be the next governor. Um, I mean, eh, shouldn't we say enough? with these private companies, about half the just just to set the frame about half the electricity in the United States is generated by publicly owned utilities and publicly owned utilities by and large are very very aggressively encouraging people to solarize put up windmills whatever you know get into the grid get on the grid the private companies see this rightfully so as a threat the public company or companies are committed first to serving the people the private companies are committed first to making a profit shouldn't there not be a profit in something that is the commons that that, that is essential, literally essential to life, electricity in the, in the United States.
6: It becomes a slippery slope. Then, I mean, at what point does a utility or a utility be be socialized? It, it's it's crazy to think. A lot of people think now that internet is a public utility, and uh, uh, the government has actually started to make rules. I mean, net neutrality is one of those those things as well. At what point do we say, okay, well, all utilities then, if it's if it's for the common good, should be government owned? I don't think. If you start doing that at a certain point, you're going to end up just an entirely socialized not, country. First,
2: first of all, let's redefine terms here. It's not government-owned. It's owned by we the people, right? I mean, you know, the, the utilities are typically owned by local towns, counties, or states. And I'm not even sure there's any utilities that are state-owned, but usually they're locally owned. They have local boards of governors. Sometimes they're elected. Sometimes they're appointed, but they're they're representative of the people. And And, you know, in terms of the slippery slope, I would say— Wherever there is a natural monopoly, wherever you can only get one thing, right? Uh, you know, whether it's septic, whether it's water, whether it's electricity, uh, whether, uh, frankly, whether it's the, the copper coming into your home with broadband. I think that that should be regulated as a utility. And ideally, I'm not arguing for the, for the nationalization of, uh, of the internet, you know, of, of individual ISPs, although I could make that argument, but I'm not. Um, but, but with regard to electricity, water and septic, you know, the, the, just core stuff essential to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If, if we know, and we now know, I mean, there's just a pile of evidence that doing this for, on a for-profit basis, not only doesn't produce the best outcome, but produces the most expensive outcome. So shouldn't, shouldn't we ban that? I have, you know, I got no problem with saying, let's just nationalize the, I it wouldn't be nationalized. It would be localizing them. But you know, it's, uh, I, I was living in Portland, Oregon. When the city of Portland tried to buy PG&E, which was not the whole West Coast, just the in Oregon, they tried to buy their local utility from Enron. And Enron, and they, and Enron was af, asking, I forget the, the amount, let's say it was $5 million. It was probably $50 or $500 or whatever. But they had an asking price, publicly stated. The city of Portland said, we will pay you the asking price. And Ken Lay said, we are going to refuse to sell to any government agency. We will only sell to another for-profit corporation.
6: Right. They're, they're, right. they're in to make money. I mean, that, yeah, that that's, but, I'm not sure if that's a well, problem or, 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 or what, but
2: if you, if, if, it was full, if the government full came soluble. to me,
6: if the government came to me and said, well, Dave, you know, we want to buy your house. Yeah, but your house is not part of the
2: commons. And by the way, Maybe the government, in, in order for the electric company to transmit electricity to my house, they may well have come to you and said, Dave, we're going to buy your house and, and we're going to give it to the power company. We're going to give it to Enron and let them run their power lines across it because we're going to put a transmission line through here.
6: You know, if the government said like, we want your thing whatever that thing is, I would say no, because it's my thing. And the government does not have a right. In some cases, I guess they do with power lines and, and uh, eminent domain, right. But if I'm in the business of making money, which I am, any business is in the business of making money. That's the point of business.
2: Shouldn't anything that, that uses eminent domain, anything where where your home and my home can be taken for the, for the public good, doesn't that just imply right off the bat that this is for the public good, that this is, this is, this is, you know, this is a natural monopoly. This is something that should be part of the commons, rather than part of the for-profit sphere.
6: Maybe that can be kind of a a, a theory going forward, where you have new utilities, or you're pushing for new utilities well, in historical that, that are not currently serviced. But I very much vehemently disagree that, that the government should be going in and taking over utilities for even even a, a, an asking a market price. Why? It's just not right. It's not why? right for the government to, to,
2: to own and to, to socialize these things. And whether it's a federal
6: government, a state government, or local government. I don't
2: understand why. What's what what is the benefit to you and me as consumers of electricity to having for profit companies, you know, telling us that we can't have solar panels on our houses, which will save us money. Telling us, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna let you do that. Uh, when a government owned agency would say, Please do that. We we would love to not have to build another power plant.
6: And that's gonna be the difference, I think, in, in ideologies. Uh, certainly. You'd uh,
2: rather pay more in, in service of the so-called free market?
6: I'd rather have less government and less government run things. I mean, the government. Why? Can't, the government can't run diddly squat correctly.
2: Well oh, that's not true. The post office works great. Nobody's ever missed a social security check. The army is, is, uh, maybe the not the most efficient, but The post of office that? works
6: horribly, horribly.
2: Or take, I, I, take I a look at, to a get look, a letter.
6: Take a look at, at metros, Washington's metro system, the subway system here. It's owned by Three, it's run by three different, uh, uh, one entity that is run by the governments of D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. All three put money in this thing. And right. what would, but The what D.C.
2: part of it is those funds are determined by Congress, and the Republicans in Congress have been short funding Metro here in D.C. for over a decade. And As a result of that, the maintenance that was supposed to be done never got done. I mean, that, that you know, if yeah, I, I agree with you. If you're going to have a government-owned uh, utility, in this case Metro, at least fund it appropriately. Funding is important,
6: absolutely. But at the same time, you have government-run things, including government-run—not government-run, government-run unions—but you have these unions that that are causing the metro system to catch on fire on a daily basis. I mean, unions? The, yeah,
2: yeah. The unions are. Particular- You're talking about the union of Republicans in Congress who are cutting the funding to Metro?
6: <laughs> no, I'm talking about the unions actually at, at Metro themselves, uh, keeping on on board these these people who basically can't be fired for essentially killing people. Metro's defending. So,
2: so we've we've, oh wow. I think we're wandering far we afield. We probably here. are.
6: We probably are. Um, Ideologically, we, I don't think it's a good idea for more government to be taking over
2: control of things. Other than the, than a reflexive hatred of government, which would m- imply a hatred of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and all the people who brought us this government.
6: There is a role in government. It's not to run utilities. Why not?
2: Why? Because they are not. They, because they're answering to you and me rather than answering to stockholders. And, you know, I, I don't mind if my blue jeans are made by somebody who answers to stockholders. In fact, I think it's the best way because blue jeans are not part of the commons, but my electricity, I, you know, I, I would like to have some say. In it.
6: And if company says that they don't want to sell back to sell to the government, why, why should they be forced to?
2: Because, uh, you mean they, do, wait a minute. You said, you said in, in, in If a utility does, oh, if, yeah, that, that, well, that was, that was, that was a comment about how Enron was basically echoing your sentiment. We're not going to sell this to the city because we just dislike the idea of publicly owned utilities. Because there's, you know, there's kind of a war going on in the utilities sector, sector right now between public and private. And, and, um, but, but I still don't understand why you, why you, why you think that if government does it, it's bad. I mean, you know. Shouldn't shouldn't we? I mean, isn't the whole point of representative democracy to make government work for all of us? Shouldn't we also uh,
6: uh, try to promote the idea that the free market economy, the thing that this entire country is based on, other than democracy, is a, is a good thing? I mean, why why do we want to have more government instead of less government? Why don't we want to have more people instead of government running these things? But
2: but you know, the, because it's better for our country, isn't? better for us. Yeah. If when, the, when government, government eventually
6: takes control of our life. And you know, going Ger- that Germany is producing
2: slope. half of their electricity from solar power. And, and we've got, you know, uh, down in Florida, that they're passing on, they're trying to pass a law to say you can't sell any of your electricity in Florida. Well, I it, think it's
6: 42 states as of a couple of years ago that allow a uh, net meter. And I, it's a very good thing. I think that it's a, it's a good thing to be able to, uh, use no power then when you need some power, bring it back.
2: So you're in favor of regulating for-profit utilities to force them to do meter?
6: I am in favor of reasonable regulations that make sense for everybody. I'm not in favor of government just
2: hopefully taking over. Okay, Dave McCullough, uh, Capital Media Partners. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. And I just want to go through some of the news that's out there today uh, for a few minutes and then we'll pick up your phone calls and, and uh, kind of continue. Uh, Mark Sumner wrote a great piece over at Daily Kos today. The headline, uh, I, you know, I referenced this, in my conversation with Bob Nay about 10, 15 minutes ago, but the headline Trump and Sessions, Jeff Sessions turns civil rights division. That would be the civil rights division of the department of justice, which is charged with enforcing civil rights laws into a weapon to protect white privilege. And, uh, the, the, Article says the the Trump administration is preparing to redirect resources to the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division toward investigating and suing universities over affirmative action and mission policies deemed to discriminate against white applicants, according to a document obtained by the New York Times. And so, yeah, it's uh, they're going to start suing schools, you know, that are doing what the Supreme Court said you can do and you should do, in fact, is, you know, try to have a diverse campus. It's good for everybody, but no, 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 no. You know, uh, make America white again. They, you know, it was just a typo, right? In his slogan, should have been M-A-W-A-MAWA. M-A-W-A. Make America, I mean, this is what it's all about. Jason Wilson, a uh, day before yesterday, wrote a piece in the Guardian titled, Young White Guys Are Hopping Mad. Confidence Grows at Far-Right Gathering. This was the so-called American Renaissance Conference that was held in Tennessee over the weekend, and uh, calling for race, realism, and a white ethno-state within the United States. Uh, this is very, very spooky stuff, but it, it is going mainstream. Uh, they, he's talking about this American Renaissance. These are white nationals, white supremacists. And uh, this weekend, American Renaissance held its annual conference in Montgomery Bell State Park, our west of Nashville. Attendees and speakers clearly felt a growing confidence. They've seen appreciable growth in membership of established emerging far-right groups. They've also seen the election as president of Donald Trump. Uh, uh, Some of the topics, race realism and race denial, as the white man turned the corner, the Trump report card so far, many were millennials this is disturbing. Though all attendees wore conference dress code, jacket, and tie, more than a few younger men sported the fasci haircut, as in fascist, short back and sides with a severe parting, which has become a signature of the so-called alt-right. Many such young men lined up for selfies with Richard Spencer, the president of the white nationalist National Policy Institute think tank, who has achieved fame since greeting the election results with a cry of, Hail Trump. And I would add he did the Hitler salute. So there's that. Meanwhile, in India, this is from uh, Quartz India uh, by Devyot Goshal. In this is uh, from a newspaper out of India. Fifty-nine thousand Indian farmers have killed themselves due to rising temperatures, and it could get worse. And this is. Uh, about uh, farmers across india uh, protesting almost always clad in green sometimes holding human skulls or dead rats they've been attempting to lobby the modi government for a relief package including a farm loan waiver uh this uh, one of the protest leaders said due to a water crisis and drought farmers are under a huge financial burden we are almost destroyed we don't care if we die protesting here and then they uh uh, in the last three decades alone, rising temperatures and their impact on crop yields have been responsible for an estimated 59,000 farmer suicides, according to a new study by Tama A. Carrollton, a researcher at the UC Berkeley. So that's 60,000 people over 30 years. It's roughly 20,000 people a year committing, you know, farmers in India committing suicide because climate change is wiping out their ability to, to, to you know, raise crops and things. Uh, Donald Trump reportedly told one of his golfing buddies at uh, whichever golf, whichever Trump owned golf course he was at last weekend or the weekend before, uh, you know, we, we spend millions and millions of dollars to transport the president to his property so he can advertise them and raise their value on our nickel. And uh, he said the white house is a dump. Well, yeah, the white house was built in like, you know, 1800, 1801, something like that. I mean, it was, it was very early on. I think uh, maybe, might've been 17, late 1790s. I think John Adams lived there for a short time. Jefferson then moved in and and whatnot, but uh, George Washington didn't live in the White House. Um, It was being built during that time. And and, uh, in fact, you know, our first capital was New York and then Philadelphia, or maybe it was the other way around. And then uh, we ended up with DC. But uh, Donald Trump talking about what a dump, The White House is. So he has to get away from it on the weekends to to go to his palaces, right? How how disgusting is this? Uh, Let me quote to you from a a handwritten essay that Barack Obama wrote on the 150th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address when he was living in the White House. And I'm quoting from the president, President Obama. In the evening when Michelle and the girls have gone to bed, I sometimes walk down the hall to a room Abraham Lincoln used as his office. It contains an original copy of the Gettysburg Address written in Lincoln's own hand. I linger on these few words that help define our American experiment, quote, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, End quote. Through the lines of weariness etched on his face, we know Lincoln grasped, perhaps more than anyone, the burdens required to give these words meaning. He knew that even a self-evident truth was not self-executing. The blood drawn by the lash was an affront to our ideals. The blood drawn by the sword was in painful service to those same ideals. He understood as well that our humble efforts, our individual ambitions, are ultimately not what matter. Rather, it is through the accumulated toil and sacrifice of ordinary men and women, like those, those like the soldiers who consecrated that battlefield, that this country is built and freedom preserved this quintessentially self-made man talking about lincoln fierce in his belief in honest work in the striving spirit at the heart of america believed that it falls to each generation collectively to share in that toil and sacrifice now, to the best of my knowledge nobody in the trump family has ever oh and then uh, uh, obama continues has ever served in the military Obama continues through Cold War and World War, through industrial revolutions and technological transformations, through movements for civil rights and women's rights and workers' rights and gay rights. We have, we have shared in that sacrifice. At times, social and economic strain have cha- change have strained our union, but Lincoln's words give us confidence that whatever trial awaits us, this nation and the freedom we cherish, can and shall prevail. Trump, the White House is a dump. Obama. I'm walking these sacred halls inspired by Abraham Lincoln. Amazing. Rex Tillerson, I'll just, uh, just the headline. I mean, you know, as, as Trump is trying to, apparently there's an op-ed about this in today's New York Times, um, about how deadly dangerous Trump's attempts to destroy the Iran deal, simply because he wants to blow up any legacy of President Obama. He wants to wipe President Obama from the face of the earth, right? It just, you know, no memory. The Republicans, by the way, did essentially the same thing to Jimmy Carter during the during the Reagan administration. It just wasn't quite as explicit, and and it didn't have the racial tone to it. But uh, while while Trump is trying to you know stir up war with North Korea, uh, Rex Tillerson, uh, U.S. Secretary, this is uh, Katrina Manson writing in, in the in the Financial Times. U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson used his lengthiest enunciation of U.S. foreign policy yet. To reassure Kim Jong-un that the U.S. is not seeking to topple North Korea's Supreme Leader or his regime, and that Washington would like to sit down and talk. That's amazing. Rex Tillerson, maybe he's gonna become a statesman. We'll be there. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between. Plus best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
4: You've been listening to Tom Hartman.